Hi everyone, welcome to the Life of Education podcast. Today we're here with Stephen from Movement Assessment Technologies. Hi Stephen. Thanks for having us guys, really excited to be joining you today. No worries. Um, do you want to just introduce yourself firstly and just tell people kind of who you are, what your background is and how you ended up in Dubai? Yeah, that's, a, that's a, yeah, probably a long story. So my name is Stephen King, I'm a physiotherapist and osteopath uh, by trade. I also worked as a personal trainer um, through my university studies, um, the, you know, the first time going through, through my master's in osteopathy. And, you know, for me, I started on this journey probably when I graduated from osteopathy and I sort of, like most people, they finish a course and they come out and you feel a little bit disillusioned. You know, I found... I was told all this stuff, but when I started to apply it into practice, you know, I wasn't probably getting the results that I'd hope I'd get. Um, So I decided, look, I was really struggling to take those patients who I was training and put them on the treatment table, and the people who I was um, treating on the treatment table struggling to get them moving again. So I went back looking for something else, and I went back and did my master's in physiotherapy too. So along that journey, I learned a lot, learned a lot about myself. Probably most importantly, learn a lot about um, reasoning, so how to manage conditions better and how to not maybe take as many things on board uh, as personally when people weren't getting results. Yeah. Uh, and most importantly, uh, you know, I got some really good education about pain, which, you know, back when I first graduated, which wasn't that long ago, we didn't actually know a lot about what we're dealing with with pain. So that started me on a journey of, you know, trying to progress myself further, trying to look at, you know, how can I build my movement knowledge? Because I went back to physiotherapy to learn more about movement. I did one two-hour class of Pilates in that whole, um, you know, <laughs> master's degree in physio. So it didn't really, you know, uh, fit that mould for me. So I travelled around the world, went to the UK, went to the USA, finding some people, you know, doing some functional movement stuff. And along the way, I realised, you know, well, this is great. I think I'm getting some good results here. But how do I actually know if I'm getting results? Uh, and that's where myself and my business partner started, you know, trying to work out ways we could start to quantify movement, put numbers to movement. So we know that if people do have injuries, uh, or even just for their general training, we can actually be specific and know if they're improving. And so that's obviously now we've started some courses. Uh, we've run some education courses for health and fitness professionals for the last four years. And we've now had over 4,000 people do our course uh, all around the world. And that's what brings me here today, a little bit jet lagged. <laughs> well, that's amazing. Congratulations. So tell us about this course that you're doing in Dubai and about uh, the mat that you guys created. Yeah, so the course is a two-day, um, really practical course. Um, so there's a lot of courses out there when we're you know, talking, especially in the physiotherapy realm at the minute, talking about pain. And there's a lot of talking, not a lot of action. Um, so what we like to do is we like to try and put that action um, you know, together with the latest pain uh, science research, a lot of the movement uh, research, and start to measure using the movement assessment tool, one of the products um, that we've created, uh, to, which allows you to put th- um, numbers to all three dimensions of movement. So we can measure distance, we can measure the angulation of movement and we can also measure the verticality. So really quickly and simply you can say, look, this is where someone's at and then this is where they're at going forward and base that on. Uh, there's a lot of tests in the literature as well from the research that uh, you know, help us make better judgments you know, whether we're helping our patients or clients. Where are you based? Where's the clinic that you work from? Yeah, so we've got a centre in Melbourne in uh, Australia, so we're called the Injury Rehab Centre. That's the home of uh, Matt, 
And uh, it's you know, something we you know, like to get creative, I guess. It's, I think it's important to still have your, um, you know, your hands in the game and um, be applying what you do. I think uh, it really is the way that you know, continue learning and continue to uh, apply the stuff that you see from the research and from the literature. So for us, that's, um, it's a really nice space that we've created uh, you know, specific to what we like to do. And it's really about collecting as much data as you can uh, so we know if someone you know is has an injury, you know we can actually start to show them progress because a lot of the time their symptoms, um, you know, don't change you know for a period of time. Whereabouts in Melbourne is it? So we're about thirty minutes south of uh, the city, uh, and so for us, uh, what's it called? The place? The injury rehab centre. The, the area. Uh, in Cheltenham. Cheltenham. I ask. I used to live in St Kilda. Oh d- yeah, okay. With most of the poms most over the there, Irish, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah the, the Irish, the Irish and uh, English in are there. A, yeah, I worked in a call centre that dealt with calls from all over Victoria. Okay. So, how many of those could you understand? Five. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not surprised. So. There's a place called You Potty Pom Pom in Victoria. Is there really? I'll, I'll, ta- I'll take your word for it. Right. But <laughs> the simple things like, like Barnsdale. Yeah. G'day, I'm calling from Barnsdale. Yep. And I have to type this into a search engine. But, Anne, Anne, Barnes. Can you spell that? Where are you, Keith? I'm in Melbourne. Oh, you sound like you're somewhere foreign. I was like, oh, no. But there's some crazy names in... Uh, in Victoria, plus the accent. I think just the accent doesn't help, does it? One guy told me, oh, where are you from, Keith? He goes, oh, that, I'm Irish. Oh, that's why I couldn't understand you. You don't speak Australian. Yeah. <laughs> that's just, okay. Moving on. Um, so, yeah, that's why I ask. Yeah. Wondering, did I recognize the name? Or was it one of the ones I had trouble with? Yeah. Cheltenham. Cheltenham. I probably would have got that. Yeah, and I think that's probably pretty familiar. Yeah. I always get asked when we're running our courses around the world, it's like, you know, what language is this course in? I'm like, it's Australian. It's, it's not English. Yeah. So <laughs> it's, um, you get, need the, tra- the translator for courses, even when there are English speakers in the course, too. Um, so, what, what, going back to the mat, what is it that you find you use it the most for? What is it like? What's the bread and butter? Yeah, so lower limb injuries uh, in particular, so uh, knee, uh, ankle, hip are probably the primary areas that we start to look at, but also for spinal injuries is something we uh, look at as well. Um, Again, it's just to set baseline data, so we know that people are progressing over time. We also use it in regards to, you know, to know if someone's safe to begin training. Uh, So if you've got patients or clients who are looking to get into some fitness, there's some data in the research showing that, you know, people are potentially a slightly higher risk, or this is when you might want to put an intervention into place to... Mm -hmm stop that potential uh, risk occurring. I'm uh, curious, can you be specific with some of the, the tests? So what do you do, say, for example, for an ankle? Yeah, so oh, there's, there's lots of different tests we do for the ankle. That's mm-hmm. uh, that's probably a, a you know, few-day conversation uh, mm-hmm. on its own. But, you know, stuff like the weight-bearing lunge test, uh, which is or knee-to-wall test most people are probably familiar with, where you're looking at um, dorsiflexion or ankle range of motion in a standing position. The star excursion balance test, so that's one of my um, favourite tests. Are you guys familiar with that? Go through it there? I don't, yeah. So I don't know. Can you go back to the others? Can we start from yeah, yeah. the beginning? Sure. Um, Do you want to show what they are? <laughs> can I see? Is that yeah, okay? yeah, sure. Yeah, I can get up. And uh, obviously, <laughs> yeah, we don't go. have the mat here. I should have brought, brought one along. But, you know, the weight-bearing lunge test is one where you can simply just, uh, you know, push the knee as mm-hmm. far forward over the toes, looking at the ankle range of motion in standing positions. Yeah, traditionally, that test was done, um, you know, up against the wall. Um, but we found that, you know, there's not too often in function where you're actually standing there holding onto something when you're yeah. moving. Um, so it probably gives you a little bit of a false representation of that range of motion. 
motion. And so what's the, what's the normal range of motion for, the, for that? Yeah, so normal is around 10 to 12 centimetres, depending on which research paper you're looking at. And you should have no greater than about 2 centimetre difference side to side. That's when it starts to become clinically meaningful where you want to put an intervention into place for someone. So if you're seeing that on that test, that's something that you definitely want to um, yeah, look at and start to see how you can improve. Whether that's a mobility issue, whether that's um, you know, a flexibility issue, whether it's a strength or stability issue again we probably don't quite know yeah uh, we need to dig a little bit further with some of the other tests that we do um, and that's where you get into like, the star excursion balance test which is basically where you stand on one leg and you're reaching eight directions all mm-hmm. around your body um, and that allows us to measure you know balance and proprioception strength and um, control uh, as well as flexibility um, so that also gives us that's one of my favorite tests because it does allow you to um, you know see so many of the different capacities that someone needs to perform their function so yeah. whether that's your uh, you know your 80 year old grandmother who just um, you know needs to be able to walk around or play with the grandkids or whether that's someone going back onto the sporting field I think it's a really nice um, you know carry across to mm-hmm. uh, lots of different people so once people uh, go through all of the tests then you're able to see where they need areas of improvement and what they're able to do and what they should do, right? Yeah, definitely. So, again, you, you see where they're at on one side compared to the other. Um, we look, we can then take the all the evidence that we've got from the literature and make better decisions about where someone should be at. Are they, you know, above average? Uh, are they below average? Are they sort of in that normal there? Um, but also in the literature, are they at a higher risk of injury with these imbalances side to side or these, um, you know, other things that we see commonly from the research? And essentially, are you looking for symmetry on both sides? Uh, relative? It, it, it depends. I'd say, mm. yeah, relative. It comes down to, you know, for us, we're big on the individual, you know, patient or clients, their needs, wants or goals. So we need to be, it's all good performing all these tests. We've got to take it back to what that person wants to be able to do because that's going to help us, um, you know, take all that we know from the literature and apply that to that individual. So it's not just a one-size-fits-all approach. I was going to say to you, is that what we used to do? The standing on one leg, touch in front, touch the side, touch back. Yeah, except... I don't have I don't have a piece of kit. I was working in a gym that was just upstairs was 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 like a standard kind of bodybuilding push pull gym. Downstairs was split into a studio. Sounds like my sort of place. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, downstairs was a studio and a crossfit box. Yeah. So in the studio was sort of the biggest free space. So with limited amount of kit, I used to take Caroline through like a. An attempted three-dimensional. Uh, we used to call it empty room something, where okay. uh, you basically have all the tools to rehab someone through an, in an empty room, just with their body weight, with twisting, turning, taking them from the take, not the ground. That's the wrong word. Taking them from their lowest ability as far as you can until you start to n- need to add speed and force. So yeah, trying to work out Caroline's stuff when she had leg very very clear leg differences. Um, yeah, we used to do a lot of... They're still there. <laughs> yeah. We're much better Smaller, now than it used to be. Yeah. But I, uh, think, I think that's that's a great you know place to be. I think we try and overcomplicate training a lot you yeah. know, these days. There's lots of new tools and um, new you know, gimmicks and fads that yeah. come out, as we were sort of speaking about before. And 
I think that's, you know, the sign of a good trainer is when you can, you know, they can take someone with just body weight and then, you know, manipulate those things yeah. like speed and the rate of movement um, and those type of things to get more load through the tissue and progress people to get where they want to go. So I think that's genius. Yeah, yeah. that's, I mean, uh, the course I did in the UK was fantastic for that. But just on that point, how do you combat that when you're having a, when you have a mat? Like, how do you sidestep the issue of is this just another fad you know what, what, what's your elevator pitch for people where you're saying that this is this is how this will work as in for the mat itself yeah, yeah. yeah look i guess for us it's more an, an assessment product i guess rather than a training tool uh, although you can use it to train but it just allows um you know i think people you know pretty easily sort of understand it most of the time you know the objectivity of it which is just something that people don't traditionally do too well in the health and fitness spaces I think you know, as technology is getting better you know with all our wearable devices yeah. and those type of things we're looking at more data um, but for a long time there we weren't really collecting much data and again so if we weren't knowing where someone was we weren't being able to know where they wanted to go or if they were actually progressing to where they yeah. wanted to go so um, you know, the good thing about, you know, the mat is there's lots of research out there and, you know, each year, I think it, like we mentioned the Star Excursion Balance Test before, I think this year there's been over 500 papers published on that. So again, that sort of uh, reaffirms to us that this, uh, what we talk about, which is functional performance testing is, um, you know, it's a really growing field and I think that's because we found a lot of the traditional assessments, uh, you know, we scan, like, you know, you talk about imaging, like x-rays, we know that what we see structurally doesn't equal pain. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we're starting to see some of these, um, you know, and my understanding of pain is evolving and that's not working, there's got to be something else. And for us, that's, you know, a movement-based approach uh, and looking at more, you know, I guess function rather than those structural problems. So those leg length, those pelvis has been out of place. Although in your case, that's probably um, <laughs> something we can delve into a little bit later on. Yeah. Just staying on the idea of pain, beginning to understand pain, how do you, because we speak about this a lot, we've had um, a, a lecture on from University, uh, St. Mary's University in Twickenham. Yeah. He's done a talk on pain. We've had a, um, a few physios talking about pain and the nervous system. How, how do you, what's your sort of take on pain in relation to exactly what you said, not necessarily structural damage? Yeah, look, I did see a bit of that uh, online. So I thought that was a really, you know, uh, from what I've seen so far of that podcast, I thought that was a really good, um, you know, understanding of, you know, what pain is, I guess, and that it's an output, you know, not an input as we know now. It's just a protective response and there's lots of, you know, different protective responses that we see and and those then, you know, change the way we move, they change the way uh, we feel. And a lot of the time, um, and they change the way we think, a lot of time people are trying to change, I think a lot of pain scientists are talking about how we can change change someone how someone thinks to change the way they feel you know what we try and do is we try and take that education that knowledge and uh, help change how people think to change how they feel through changing the way they move um, so for us we try and integrate those three things together um, because we often find that the pain scientists probably you know there's a lot of talking not a lot of action and then you've got the other spectrum of people who just aren't, you know, talking about this stuff at all mm-hmm. and are just doing, you know, re- lots of different random stuff. And that's where data helps. I think that helps us justify what we're doing um, and allows everyone to speak the same language. Like we have from our courses, we have professionals from 10 different professions come along. Um, so having the, uh, the numbers helps you communicate not only amongst yourselves and your peers but other professions and with your patients and with your clients as well. So if somebody came to you and they said, I've got... I've got back pain, I have a scan. The scan says there's no structural tissue damage. How do you, like, what's, I like asking people this because I like 
the more analogies we can get for this, the more we can start to, some of them are going to hit home with people. Yeah. How would you explain the difference between like kind of pain and, and why that scan is saying everything's clean and healthy? Yeah, look, it, it probably comes down to the individual, uh, you know, what sort of analogy or how I start to describe it because different people respond in different ways to different, you know, anecdotes. And, you know, some people will want a more scientific-based approach. Mm-hmm. Some people will want a more uh, layman-based approach. So, look, without having the patient there and having the full context, yeah. it's probably hard to, um, you know, say, you know, that one-size-fits-all approach. I probably don't have that, I guess. Um, but there are lots of different things, lots of different ways you can go about doing that. So yeah. probably doesn't answer your question too much. Um, no, I just think like it comes back down to the, uh, to the, to the individual, I yeah. guess. So, um, yeah. Yeah, no, it's fair enough. I, I totally appreciate your point. I, I like to ask people, though, because it just, it just helps people... It's just some people who are listening, they, yeah. might, they might not pick up on the scientific version, but they might get the layman's version. Yeah. Um, so just going all the way back, why did you go originally into osteopathy in the first place? Uh, I guess it, I always had a passion for you know sport and uh, for health uh, and for the fitness profession. Uh, so it was an, I sort of realized, look, the fitness profession for me was a good place to start, but I wanted to do something a little bit more. I realized I wanted to go to university, and at the time, the fitness stuff through the universities in Australia was quite limited, so I started to look into osteopathy. Uh, and for me, it was, you know, it was really, you know, I'm really glad that I did it. I think you spend five years really intensely on musculoskeletal stuff, which I don't think too many other courses, you know, in the world. So you spent how many? Five years. Really, of, yeah. Full-time, you know, musculoskeletal study compared to the physiotherapy course that I did. You know, we had one six-week placement on musculoskeletal stuff. So there's a big difference there mm-hmm. uh, coming out of the universities from the osteopathy point of view um, compared to uh, the physiotherapy point of view. And then obviously the training um, has improved a lot in Australia, I think with more exercise physiologists coming out now. Yeah. Um, the, the landscape's changing, but you know the six-week um, fitness course that I think most people have done in Australia previously probably didn't have all that much anatomy and um, yeah. you know those type of uh, physiological components in it. So how does five years of musculoskeletal look? Like, what are you doing in your first, second, third, fourth, and fifth year? Yeah, so look, a lot of osteopathy was quite practical. So there's a lot of time spent on hands-on skills. So uh, I spent, you know, probably 12 months doing, like, you know, muscle energy PNF type stuff compared to in the physiotherapy course I spent two hours. Yeah. So, uh, you know, probably drawn out a little bit maybe um, when I start to look back at it. <laughs> but again, you come out and you feel really confident, really proficient in that, yeah. whereas... I know a lot of my colleagues coming out of the physiotherapy course, from, you know, they're not going to go and use something they've only spent two hours yeah. doing with their patients and clients. But you get a really good foundation in, you know, anatomy, physiology, pathology, um, biochemistry, like all the, you know, your basic sciences, mm-hmm. and then start to then apply that to real-world patients as you start to work your way through. And, you know, from the osteopathy course, I spent, you know, two years in the student clinic there, seeing over probably 200, 250 patients before I graduated where there's a lot of you know personal trainers probably haven't seen no, too many no. clients at all and the physiotherapy yeah, scary I don't think they do I think you do a course and then you're like yep you're ready go <laughs> like exactly. go train someone it's like, scary and yeah you know, especially we, we talked about before when you are you know you do a week they do a weekend course and they come back and everyone starts to do the same thing you know it can be dangerous at times too so a little mm. bit of knowledge sometimes can yeah. be um can be yeah quite dangerous yeah, I think on those courses, like, it's just the difficulty as well. Is you, they get so much information so fast yeah. that it's hard to retain it all. Um, 
it's hard to just remember. So they they know their anatomy on the, at the day. They know what they need to know. They know how to train people. But then when they come out, like you said, if they're not using it straight away, you're, they're going to forget it. It's going to pop out of their short term memory and just and disappear. Um, but yeah, no, that's I don't know. We I'm trying to think back. We did a in my course. We did a year of musculoskeletal stuff, like, and we were told by the physios that we were doing our placements with that we would know more than the physios, you know, in the placement world, the head physio running the clinic would tell us that our anatomy and physiology was more in-depth and thorough than the the physios who were coming to the same clinics for the placement. I think it's so important. I don't... I, 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 I sort of wonder how some people can exist in a world with treating bodies, whether it's hands-on treating or just instructing people without knowing anatomy like I, I don't why would you be a mechanic if you don't know how a car works but I totally understand it because I've done all I've done, I did all levels I did a night course in, in fitness instruction then I went to Australia backpack for a year party call centre <laughs> call centre construction demolition but th- those jobs are important those jobs taught me never yeah. they taught me never complain about a hard day's work again yes. when you're trekking across Sydney from one side of the city to the other and you've got to just pull down walls and not talk to anybody and sweep up and dig holes and be out in the sun and then be in dust all day. This is this is the life. This is magic in these jobs. Yeah. But teach you work ethic, but also yeah. the call center, like t- teach you how to communicate with patients. Like I think yeah, the most I probably learned was working in like a sales job in like a hardware <laughs> store in in Australia, you know. And that for me, just being able to talk to people and you know relate to anyone who comes through your door, I think is a yeah. pretty important skill that you. So I have a question for you. You so mentioned drink a lot bef- of beer, probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. That's why we went back to university to <laughs> keep the party going. <laughs> um, before we started the podcast, you mentioned that you were doing PT before. What are some of the the maybe for PTs out there watching? Um, what are some of the biggest things that you see from being an osteo and a physio, and then a PT? The huge gap that exists between those two. I know you mentioned it's like one's very on the table, one's very on on practical but there's obviously a huge divide what are some tips that you can give people look i think the gap's narrowing now i think probably um Phew. Yeah, <laughs> i think you'll see you know a lot of uh, manual therapists traditionally are doing a lot less manual therapy than they have previously and that's just because when we look at the research it's not stacking up you know yeah, as well I've heard as some that. Of the, is the that outcomes. is that really true that it's not yeah, look again. It depends, you know, which paper you read and which uh, side What's of the fence your you sit on. on this? Uh, look, for, for me, I try and stay pretty um, Switzerland, just pretty ne- neutral. Uh-huh. Uh, but and I think that's the beauty. Of, what's the neutral opinion on that? You know, so I think uh, you know it comes down to the individual. So I think for some people, they're going to get really great responses to you know manual therapy and passive types of care. Um, you can't leave it at that. But they're going to respond really well. There's people who are going to and respond. is that based on the placebo effect? Do you think? That's a big discussion, I think. <laughs> uh, look, placebo is real. Whether mm. The terminology that people use to describe it is there. Uh, there's definitely physiological effects as well, but a lot of it comes down to what the more we learn about the nervous system, you know, the central nervous system in particular in the brain, I think the more we're starting to see you know, a lot of the treatment techniques that you know when i went through university we're talking about oh we're breaking down scar tissue we're increasing blood flow and all these things with our hands-on treatment well it's probably not actually the case now it's probably more neurophysiological than structural changes that we're making Mm -hmm. with some of that stuff so so just for maybe people who don't understand when you're talking about moving things uh 
you're saying that now it's more neurophysiological. What what does that mean exactly? Yeah, so obviously the brain you know, governs everything. And I said, like pain's an output. We also get other outputs as well, which are decreases in range of motion and uh, you know flexibility. We get changes in strength, balance and proprioception. There's lots of the physiological mm. effects uh, altered. Um, and I think there's a lot of different ways that you can go about starting to improve them. So manual therapy is only one you know, way. Mm. But I think, you know, the trainers actually have a more important job in, in my opinion than, you know, us as, you know, health um, professionals like from the physiotherapy or therapeutic um, standpoint because you often see, you know, patients and clients, you know, two, three, four, five times a week sometimes whereas a lot of times physiotherapists will see someone maybe, you know, once, twice a week for a pretty short space of time but then uh, there's not that real ability to, you know, help them progress over time. So I think, you know, the trainers out there actually have the most important job, I think, and, you know, I think they're do- most of the time they're doing a really good job of that too. Yeah, I think that's true. So I think most of the time trainers are doing a great job. I think they get, there's, there's quite a bad, uh, what's the word? People think the trainers aren't as good as, as they are but, I don't. I see. I see really good ones, and I see some really poor ones. But overall, the vast majority is in the middle. The people doing the, doing the good work, doing the good hard labor. Yeah, and doing like their best to learn and progress. Yeah. and that's the important thing. Yeah, I think what you said, touching on like it, it, it comes down to the individual. When people ask me, should I go to a chiropractor? Should I go to an osteo? Or should I go to an acupuncture? I'm starting to kind of have, take the f- position of, it's almost like people's nervous systems are crying out for attention. But it's hard to know what it is. And what works for one person isn't going to work for another person. And what works for one person one year, five years later, might not work for that same person again because the nervous systems change. So, yeah, so it's hard to give people solid advice. It's hard to say, right, for this, you are going to need this doctor or you're going to need this chiropractor. And I. I what I really want is t- people to get to the point where people, because st- even the top in, p- in the industry, only beginning to learn about the nervous system, only beginning to learn about pain, only beginning to learn about the brain, what it's really, in, what it's yeah. really in control. Just of. to interrupt you there, I I remember I came out of surgery once, and this is where it just like blew my mind about our nervous system. So I had a, a tendon release surgery on my big toe and the doctor, so the surgeon took a video of my foot after the surgery and he basically took my toe all the way into extension and all the way into flexion. And he's like, it's fine. And when I woke up, it wouldn't move again. And I was like, what? Like it's fixed. It's meant to be fixed. But obviously my nervous system is saying, uh, uh-uh, like you're not moving that foot. We're protecting this. We're going to keep it here. So it's just amazing to understand that the nervous system is really responsible for so much of how our body responds. I don't know. What's your opinion on that? Like that just blew me away. Yeah. Look, as we said, look, it's, I think that's just like an out. It's another output from the brain as a you know protection. Your body's saying, look, I don't want that to go back to where I was again. Um, you know, I don't want to re-injure this potentially. So that's just again what another output there that you've sort of seen. But hopefully, we know that the nervous system we can you know evolve and we can improve it as mm, well neuroplasticity. through neuroplasticity. So mm. um, you know, the more you sort of use it, the more you'll improve it. Um, you know, so and then hopefully as you start to build confidence in those things as well. The nervous system will then you know, down-regulate a little bit and then you'll start to improve some of those yeah. things too. So I think confidence is a big thing that, you know, we all need to really try and build with our patients and clients. So, And that's where we find objective data helps because we can actually show people that, you know, they are improving and they yeah. are taking steps because, you know, sometimes things like that can take, you know, 
days, weeks, yeah. months, years to improve. Yes, yes. <laughs> and so as long as you've got something to show people, to keep them motivated along the way too, because that's something that we... So how know, would you... So taking that instance of Caroline, just come out of foot surgery, stiffed up, stiffened up tendons, how does... How would you treat that in your practice with the mat? Like, what measure would you look at first, and then how would you show her? What intervention would you would you apply, and then how would you show her the progress? So I look at all the traditional, um, you know, therapeutic or orthopedic testing stuff first. Obviously, you know, range of motion stuff at local area, local strength at the area, depending on you know how stable it is and those type of things. Try and put numbers on that. You, know, you can get like um, little strength testing devices, pretty cheap now. Your handheld dynamometers and those type of things. So try and put some data around that, and then starting to look at some of those measures that we looked before, so the more functional stuff, looking at up further up the chain, what effects happening there? Because often if you yeah, especially something important like, did you say that was a big toe? Yeah, yeah, I think it was the flexor hallucis longus, yep. maybe, and the tendon and everything. But it was my whole foot. It wasn't just that one. It yep. was all of them. So there's going to be like massive changes up through the rest of the chain too. So look, there's definitely going to be some local work there. Obviously, if the surgeon can take it, you know, that's where maybe some passive care can help. Mm-hmm. But it's only going to help short term. If you don't then go on, you can give the nervous system some more motion. If you don't then go and use it, you're not going to maintain it. So, yeah. uh, you know, it's got to get pretty active pretty quickly too. So I think yeah, that, you know, what you guys have been working on, you know, sounds like it's the way to go. Yeah, that's uh, one of the things, like, personally I realised that I could sit and read about everything, but it really, like, I had to get off my butt and actually move, and I had two choices. So, like, you either stay in pain and endure it and zip it, or you you do something about it and movement really is like the the best remedy for all pain i believe anyway don't want to generalize that um massively i don't know what you guys think about that well there's more research coming out it's you know analgesic effects um as well as its effects on well-being as well and i think that's pretty important when you've been through something you know quite traumatic uh obviously as you you did in particular you know it's really important to make sure that not only from a physical point of view at the foot but also for everything else through the rehab process it's exercise and movement's really important you got to empower people to take control of their um condition as well yeah i think that's traditionally where the therapists fall down a little bit they have patients or clients you know rely on them every you know week or two weeks so they got to come in and put their back back into place so you got to you know fix the leg length you know the pelvis is out again um you know these type of things we take the power away from people whereas i think you know we need to really be looking to empower people yeah. to um you know take control of their care and how do, how do you do that personally how would you empower someone to to look after themselves yeah so through you know lots of different strategies education's obviously a big one we like to try and make it really easy for people to do that so we've got online courses around particular conditions that we get our patients to go through we've just got a new uh, app which mm-hmm. then um, sends people uh, education documents uh, through the process as well as they can log their exercises um, their sets and reps they can log their daily um, you know other movement goals they can also um, you know set daily habit reminders and stuff so whether that's around you know just walking for 30 minutes or meditation or some mm-hmm. of these other things looking a bit more holistically at you know the whole you know um, spectrum actually, that sounds really cool because I know like loads of people go to physios and they get a piece of paper like you do your physio exercises yeah. and yeah. then no one does them and you lose the paper and it's scrunched up yeah. and yeah. so it's, it's cool to be able to have like you're doing it now yeah. yeah, yeah, and you can start to identify people when they're dropping off that um, spectrum as well. So you can start to see the people who, okay, they're getting a bit demotivated at the minute. We need to start to pep them back up because they haven't done anything in the last two weeks. Yeah, you, what you started to say, sort of 
brought me back right back to when I was trying to make the decision what I'm going to do, whether I'm going to go into a clinical kind of university course and do a physiotherapy course or try and stay more in the sort of gym-based stuff. Part of the thing I didn't want to do was I didn't want to live in a world where people would just come in and go, fix me. Do you know? Like, fix me. Swishing their hair at the like, same time. Oh, just <laughs> fix, oh, fix me. I'm hurt. Because, like, it, uh, I was quite young at the time. I didn't want that. But now I have people, they still sort of come in. Because I did a lot of work in football um, before in the UK. And a lot of that was treatment room, pitch side, kind of running in, fix, see what's going on, bring the guy out. But before the games, I'd get the, the boys coming in going, oh, fizz, 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 my knee's stiff. And I'd be like, mate, I know it's winter. <laughs> I know it's 6 p.m. I know it's lashing down rain. But get out. Yeah. <laughs> get out and get warmed up. Like, we can do a little bit if you're injured, but this isn't that kind of room. You're not getting that treatment here, so yeah. so out you go. So I think there's there's empowering people with like self confidence and, and and education and showing them that oh look you just you can do it you can do it and then there's all right snap out of it we have to get this going like I had a woman recently who was so afraid of kneeling on the floor she couldn't get from standing to kneeling and it took us about she was looking around for something and she'd never done this before and she was she was everything I asked her was she in pain she said no but I think it's going to hurt. Yeah. And I was like, okay, like we can work with this. I'm not, it wasn't frustrated at all. There's no, I was like, okay, this is, this is where we're at right now. But, but she would get a maybe half a meter off the floor and stop. And I was like, okay, if you're, if you fall over, you need to get back up. Like if you fall over in a field or in the desert over here on the beach, like what are you going to do? And she's like, I'll, I'll, I don't know. And I was like, okay, so first thing we need to get you down and get you back up as soon as you tell me there's real life pain right we'll stop but you haven't told me that there's pain so i had to really like ground her in what's happening here like i totally get that you're afraid of it but if we're not having pain and i had to explain that the fear is going to make it more sensitive and then go down that route but eventually she had she like she just looked at me she said i just have to do it and i was like so we got a cushion we got a thing on the floor and she's like i was like yeah i was like i'm here if it goes wrong like you're very close to the floor and she did it and then she was really cautious waiting frozen <sighs> and then she was like yeah no it doesn't hurt but I'm afraid it now it's going to hurt later or I'm afraid now it's going to hurt tomorrow I like, okay well this is all we need to do for today yeah. this is what we now we're just going to lie on the floor and we're going to do some a bunch of other exercises floor based and we're going to do it one more time as we get back up on our feet but that was one where if that was a guy I would have gone alright mate there's people watching <laughs> get on the floor play towards that ego yeah yeah, I think yeah. That definitely obviously sometimes. i was i was very closely monitoring but i didn't want to i didn't want to like not pander but i didn't want if i got real concerned it would make her more concerned if i i was being quite intentionally quite blasé about it to try and like if i had been all cautious and putting tape up around and warning lights and alarm bells she would i feel she would have got a bit more nervous but I do sort of think, as much as you need to educate people, you some this could be where I'm in my part of the industry and you're in your part of the industry, and that's the difference between us. But it's just like, right, we need to get going. Like, we need to just do it. Well, I think if you fear pain, then your patients are going to, and patients and clients are going to feel 
uh, fear pain as yeah. well. So we've got to try and, uh, you know, take away again fears, another one of those central factors which, you know, sensitizes the nervous system and especially with those neuro tags or those associations between those things here. We've got to try and break those somehow. So for some people, that's going to be a really nice strategy. Um, you know, other people you might find that's, yeah, has totally the opposite effect yeah. to, to what that lady does and that's where I think it's really interesting what we do that everyone is mm. you know so different does respond differently yeah. to different things yeah the nervous system man what's going on up there yeah nobody knows <laughs> yeah the brain is more complex than what like they know more about the universe than they know about the brain I know that's a stuff I just made that up <laughs> <laughs> we'll go yeah. someone's gonna be quoting you soon yeah, I'll, I'll get, keep get, sad I'll get googled um, <laughs> google will tell me off um, so what's next for you then? What's in your future? What's on the horizon for you? Uh, so for us, well, in the near future, we've got, obviously got a course here tomorrow. Then I'm off to Europe for five weeks. So running, uh, we've got nine courses around Europe. And then uh, we've got some you know, exciting things. We've just released a new app, which is uh, integrating you know, what we do with the mat now, but also trying to help us manage our patients and clients better. So like we talked about, trying to change their behaviours and their daily habits and um, trying to get them into good routines in regards to their exercise and adherence to that. Because we know that the thing that stops people getting where they want to go a lot of the time is their adherence. So if we can, we, I think it's our job as um, you know, therapists and trainers to make it as easy for people as they can to achieve their goals. And so I think by setting people up, you know, using technology now to monitor stuff, it really does make it easy for people to, you know, they've really got no excuse to get stuff done. Uh, and then we've got some other new technology coming out too, which uh, probably can't talk too much about just yet. Um, but you know, it's all going to be around uh, collecting, you know, more objective data as well, and trying to, um, you know, bring the health and fitness area, um, you know, areas into the 21st century. I think a lot of the stuff we do is, uh, you know, still pretty basic, and I yeah. think we can do a lot of it better and get a lot more information to know whether we are actually helping our patients and clients. And uh, I wanted to ask you earlier, but I've forgotten. Then I didn't want to interrupt you. In Melbourne, what kind of what's your basic client base? So, what's the most? Are you, are you dealing with general public? Are you dealing with athletes, semi pros? Must be a lot of pros down in Melbourne. You're 20 minutes south, you said. Yeah, 20 or 30 minutes south of uh, the city, depending on the traffic. Um, maybe if you're driving like they drive here in Dubai, <laughs> it's probably about three minutes on sales. Has uh, that freaked you out? Yeah, I was fearing for my life a little bit. It's uh, yeah, yeah no, it was, you should have like come that. here ten years ago when there were no speed limits, no speed cameras. It was yeah. like oh, I can crazy. Imagine. Yeah, I don't need to go on a Formula One car. I think I've uh, <laughs> ticked that off the list now. Um, but yeah, look, my patient base is look, I personally see a lot of athletes um, and sporting individuals but the, our clinic as a whole sees uh, you know people from uh, you know kids as young as sort of you know six or seven uh, right up to you know uh, people in their I think my oldest patient's 96 oh wow uh, yeah she, she's, she's quite funny she comes into the practice and says I hurt my back on the weekend I was like oh okay yeah, how'd you do that she's like I was boogie boarding <laughs> brilliant and I was like Excuse me? And she's like, yeah, I was boogie boarding. She's like, you know, the worst thing? The surf was small that day. And I was like, I lost it. So, Do you know what? I love people like that, though. Yeah. You've got to give it to them. Like, you're alive. Live. Yeah. Like, yeah. actually live. I read somewhere recently. No, it was a picture. Maybe I got this wrong. But this guy, the oldest guy to skydive, like, in his hundreds. Yeah. It's, like, amazing. It's great. Yeah, yeah it's great. If you're, 90, you're not getting to 97 by sitting around. No, exactly right. Yeah. So we talk about that nervous system. You know, we see that that tends to, you know, 
decrease its function over time. You know, as you can still, if you use it, you know, you can still improve it even at that age. You know, so yeah, that's great. There's not, there's not that many elderly that we'd see here, to be honest, because whatever the cultural reasons, but also for sort of visa reasons, people. Sixty-seven. In their, yeah, in their mid sixties. Sixty-seven. You can't get a work visa here anymore. All so right. Yeah. No. So the, that's sort of the limit, almost, unless you see you're in the dealing with the local Emirati individuals. Yeah. Um. They. I don't know what the eldest person I've I've worked with here is, but the elderly population is is, is quite quiet. Yeah. Um. So and so t- t- talk to me a little bit about. Do you see a lot of um, Aussie ruler footballers? We do see a lot of Aussie rules. What kind of injuries you, do you get in that? Uh, look, I think the ACL epidemic in Melbourne uh, in Australia is like, huge at the minute, both from Australian rules football and netball. Uh, so right. those big traumatic knee injuries tend to be the ones that you know they're the, the most serious ones, I guess, the ones that keep people off the field for a fair bit of time. Um, but you know the, our knowledge and uh, yeah management of those are improving a lot yeah. now, and a lot more getting managed conservatively. You know we talked about imaging and stuff. Um, you know maybe leading us down the wrong path, but you know some of this surgical stuff. You know maybe we're becoming a little bit less reliant on that now too, which I think is a good thing. Why do you think imaging is leading us down the wrong path? Well, I think imaging you know, traditionally has because we found a lot of these structural. Um, you know findings that you'd report on and we know in we scan normal population you know for instance you scan someone with low back pain over 60 you know you're going to find there's some degeneration you're going to find that in like 80% of people there's going to be disc bulges and prolapses in there so some of these structural findings you know we've probably been too quick to blame them as the source of the pain we know pain's pretty complex and pretty, there's lots of different things that contribute to someone being in a pain state not just that structural finding yeah yeah I think we discussed this with Ollie. It was the psychosocial yeah. something model. Yeah. So yeah, I'm getting that sounded wrong. No, that's yeah, yeah. yeah. biopsychosocial. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that that has a huge, um, huge impact on how people experience pain and why they experience pain as separate to okay, it's just my knee because of this. So yeah. Well, um, okay. So, if people want to get in touch with you online, where can they uh, where can they find you? Your website and check out your stuff. Yeah, so they can head to uh, mattassessment.com uh, is the easiest place, or also the Twenty uh, First Century uh, Physio Podcast. So, podcast.physio. Uh, they want to check out that as well. And then Instagram, Twitter. Where do you hang out? Yeah, probably most of the time. Yeah, Facebook and Instagram. Twitter, yeah. uh, Twitter probably don't uh, hit up too much. Um, it's not very popular in Australia, so no, it's not. And part, unless I'm looking for a lot to try and stay up to date with the research where I'm flicking through, I think it's a really great place for that. You know, people put a lot of um, the latest research papers, a lot of evidence on there to you know keep up to date. I think it's a really good way to stay engaged. But for me, uh, I think social media there's enough of it these days, yeah. and so I think Instagram and um, yeah, Facebook are my two. Who are the main pages that you might follow on Twitter for those research papers? Oh, there's lots of different ones. Look, I think um, Mike Ryman um, is probably a one. So he's a guy out of the uh, States who I really like. And Rob Mance, you know, they, they influence a lot of what we've done in re- regards to functional performance testing. So, you know, I think if you've got a, you know, in the course we talk about, you know, my probably man crushes, they're probably uh, <laughs> two of those, I think, in regards to the research space. I think they're um, doing some really great stuff. Cool. Perfect. All right. Well, thanks for coming to join us. I know you're on a tight schedule, so we won't keep you any longer. No, thank you very much for having me. I'm yeah, really excited so the journey much. you guys are starting. It um, yeah, sounds like you've got some really exciting things ahead and yeah, some great knowledge for people, which is awesome. Cheers for that. I appreciate that. Thank you. See you again, guys. Bye.